The following message is a part of the teaching ministry of Grace Bible Church of Fairburn, Georgia, also on the web at gracebible.faith. That's gracebible.faith. Good evening, Grace Bible Church and Friends of Grace. Uh, this last Sunday, we were in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. So for a number of Sundays, we were in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. And our last engagement in that first section of chapter 3, we also picked up with verse 8. Well, this week we picked up with um, chapter 3, verse 9, the section 8 through 13. And verse 9 has a view to verse 8 as well. It, they, they together express um, how we should understand the nature of Christ's imminent return. Peter's um, giving his rebuttal, as it were, in terms of the, the Lord is not slow, but he is patient. Um, the, the, the Lord has a different perspective on time. We saw that in verse 8 in terms of how we view things, in terms of how God views things. But there are literal days. There is a literal passing of history, and there is a literal exercising of patience. And so we're grateful for that season of patience, as it were, as we await the imminent return of Christ. But because it has been a number of days and weeks and years, even for Peter's audience, his original audience, the mockers, how did they respond? They were mocking. And why would the mockers mock such a precious thing, what's regarded as our blessed hope? Well, we view Christ's return as a glorious expectation and, and something that we long for and we look forward to. But the mockers, being outside of Christ, they have nothing to look forward to but judgment. And so such is the nature of their mocking. They, they don't desire it. They seek to, to undermine it, to discredit it, to wish it away, to challenge it. And we, as we walk through this um, uh, second part of verses 8 and 9, in terms of, again, the, the nature of God's patience as it relates to time, as it relates to the imminent return of Christ, as it exercises or expresses the will of God, we saw that Peter framed the wording of um, keywords like promise and perish. So God's promised that Christ will return. It's an imminent return. But what happens at Christ's return? Well, a major element that Peter's been developing in chapter 3 is that of judgment. And so he frames that with the word perish. And so we have promise all the way to perish. But what do you have between there? Patience. And patience is the only thing that's separating promise and perish. It's really, and that's how I think it's a healthy way, a helpful way to view the, the return of Christ and the timing of Christ's return. The, the Lord's made his promises. It's a sure reality. But if he comes and someone's ungodly, unregenerate, unrepentant, they will perish. And so what a kindness that between promise and perish is this, um, this check, this, this holding place, as it were, and it's God's patience. And he's exercised his patience for quite some time now. And we talked about how that patience, the patience of God, has produced repentance. It's brought many of us, all of us who are beloved in Christ, all of us who've come to salvific faith, who've repented of our sins, it's brought us to that place where we don't look to perishing, but to the fulfillment of promise. And so what a kindness this season of patience is. And that's how I also encouraged you to think about this passage, was that between promise and perish or between promise and fulfillment. Because that's what we're looking forward to. We're, we're looking for the fulfillment of promise. And here we are in this uh, intermediate time, this time of, of patience, and such is the nature of where the church is. And what a kindness uh, that the Lord has afforded that he would draw a people to himself. And, and we wrestled through that, and we wrestled through God's relationship to time, his relationship to his people, so as to, or his people and time, so as to exercise patience, things that can be complicated, hard to get our, our hands around. 
And then also another major thing that we worked through was the will of God as expressed in this uh, section, this verse. And it's a challenging thing because a lot of people want to see this as that he's not willing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance, that maybe he's willing something that he doesn't will. What do you mean by that? Well, he doesn't desire for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance, and yet he has a judgment that's just and righteous, and not all will enter to eternity in the presence of Christ, but some will be under eternal damnation, eternal judgment, and they will perish forever. So how do we reconcile these two things? Well, that was something we wrestled through on Sunday as well in terms of it's not that the Lord has some um, conflicting will, as it were, that um, as though one expression is just that, well, things are just the way they are, and as though God just, eh, it's what it is. Didn't want it that way, but it's just what it is. And then he's got this other will that would say, well, I'm, I'm sovereign God over all things, and so I'll accomplish my purposes. No, he will always accomplish his purposes, but there's a complexity to that. And we walk through that a one-dimensional or superficial treatment of the will of God, as expressed in such manners, can lead you to error or uh, deficient views of God and his character and how it works itself out. It's not something we would do for ourselves. We wouldn't treat ourselves in such a superficial, one-dimensional way. We recognize there's a complexity to the expression of our own wills, our own desire, and yet God infinitely and more perfectly so, absolutely perfectly so. And so those are some things that we we wrestled through as we worked through the elements of this text. Again, God's patience as it's reflected in the passing of time and his engagement with creation and his will as it's exercised both in the redemption of a people and also the condemnation of those who do not believe. And so that was kind of how we framed our engagement of Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9. We also viewed it with a view to the contrast that are in the passage, that um, the Lord is not slow, but patient. There's the first contrast, and the other is he's not willing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. And so these were um, contrast that we also framed as challenges. Uh, the first challenge, the eternal God's relationship to time. How do we understand that? Again, that was something that we uh, developed more fully on Sunday. It's really hard to summarize, and so I'd direct you back to your notes or even to, to listen back to the message. And the other thing that was the second challenge, again, something hard to summarize, and again, I would just direct you back to our message, was the sovereign God's relationship to man's decisions. And so that's always a tension people are wrestling through. And it's very plainly present here as well. How do we understand God's desire to have a people come to himself? Language says for all to come to repentance. Um, and then the fact that the totality of the chapter, the, the sweep of it, the, the, the major portion of it has to do with judgment. And so is that in conflict with what's being expressed here? It's not in conflict, not at all. But again, it's a demanding thing to think through. I think it's a helpful thing because it presses us to consider the nature and character of God and then how that is expressed um, in his relationship to us and to the creation as a whole because it's the character of God that informs the passing of time and the exercising of patience and the fulfillment of his will while also having a desire for none to perish. Again, these things are, to some extent, we hold them in tension, but they have a measure of clarity to them as well. So uh, we covered a lot in that regard. It was um, a challenging task, but I think a rewarding one as well, because it directs us to something. It doesn't just direct us to interesting thoughts. It should direct us to worship, to thanksgiving, to faithfulness and prayer, which is where we want to go now as well. 
So let's consider some ways that we can be praying in response to our engagement with verse 9. The first would be that we should praise God for the range and complexities of his character and the exercising of his will, which has been demonstrated in his being patient while many come to salvific faith. So again, God's uh, character and the expression of it is is wonderfully uh, complex and, and challenges us in many ways. But it's also been demonstrated um, through patience. And that patience is the, the, the season of time in which many of us have come to salvific faith in Christ. And so we need to give thanks back to God for that, that he is um, awaiting the imminent return of the Son. And during this time, people are repenting. People are coming to faith. So again, reasons to give thanks to God. Praise God that he takes joy in the redemption of his beloved. That was one of the things I wanted to draw out on Sunday was that as we try to understand the will of God as expressed in the scriptures and, and to, to marry its complexities in terms of uh, it would, what would appear, again, in a very superficial, in a super, uh, surface level way, to be in conflict. It's not in conflict, but part of that working through that and wrestling through that was to see the, the joy that God has in the redemption of sinners. And we should give thanks to God for that. It's, it's, not, um, it's not something that is even treated lightly. The Lord rejoices in, in the, the, the rescuing, the redemption, the saving of a people. And that's precious. And so, again, that should provoke us to worship. Praise God that in due time, he will deal justly with the wicked, the ungodly, the unrepentant. Um, we, again, we never want to express this in some morbid or angry fashion. Rather, we want to express thanks to God that this world that is broken and full of hurt and full of people that are unrepentant and they don't worship the one true God, they, they scorn truth, those who have had opportunity to hear truth. And in our present context, there's an abundance of opportunity. That's not the case everywhere in all circumstances. And uh, there are many that, even in those circumstances, uh, given opportunity, they would reject the gospel. But we want to advance it as, as far and as fast and as faithfully as possible. But the fact is, that there are those who are ungodly, unrepentant, that lack faith, that that don't desire the imminent return of Christ. Rather, they would join the mockers. And there's a certain satisfaction in thanksgiving we should return back to God that he will deal justly. Again, it's not an offense against us. It's an offense against the holy holy Lord of all, the sovereign God of all, the creator. And so I do think that's fitting to, to thank God for the fact that he will maintain his righteousness, his holiness, and he will call people to an account. And we need to pray that many others will see, understand, and submit to God's patience, uh, coming to salvific faith in Christ. This is a season of patience. The fact that the Lord hasn't returned yet. He could return any moment now. He could return this instant. and It would be like a thief in the night. But he hasn't yet. And because he hasn't, we need to pray that the Lord would um, exercise that patience in the redemption of of more, more people, and that uh, those that we love would come to faith, and those that we have contact with would come to faith. And that means that we both pray and that we pursue, and we seek to be found faithful. So we need to pray also that we would be faithful. We would have a heart and a drive and ambition, uh, um, a confidence in God, a confidence in his word, clarity of opportunity and speech. And finally, pray that we would live as we've been commanded First Peter chapter 1, verse 13 has a very clear command for us that really carries over and will continue carrying over that we are to, to live with a fixed hope 
on the promise of, of Christ's return, the, the grace to be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So pray that we would live as we've been commanded with our fixed hope completely, to, or fi- our hope fixed completely on the grace to be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This, again, is our blessed hope. We need to live accordingly. It's not just a good suggestion. It's not an encouragement. It is a commandment. So we need to pray that the Lord find us faithful. And you don't pray, Lord, find me faithful and not act. Part of praying is requesting, is petitioning, but it's also to direct us to action. We ought not to ask for that which we're not going to pursue as well. And so we, uh, when we want to be found faithful in these things, we rejoice that the Lord's delivered us from the temptation both to become mockers ourselves, scorning the truth, and also that we haven't succumbed to the the destructive work that they do. And we need to pray the same for others as well. And that mockers in this season of patience might come to repentance because the Lord, again, has expressed patience. He does desire for all men to come to repentance. And so for that, we give thanks. We know his beloved will, and this is the will of God. So I hope this is helpful. I again direct you to um, further study. It's a hard one to summarize, so I would just direct you back to what we've already covered and again to refer you back to your notes and your own efforts as well. All right, grace and peace to you all.